Right, if you are joining us for the first time, we're, we're tapping back into our series on Philippians. And I would invite you to please open up your Bibles or your electronic Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. And uh, we are carrying on this really profound, it's, what a joy it's been, this journey through this letter of rejoicing. And I've entitled today's message, To Die is gain. Uh, I want to remind you that this book of Philippians is climbing, is like climbing a mountain range, and you get to these peaks, and, and we are today on one of the great summits of this book. It's probably off the back of a statement which I don't think anybody could beat. It's probably one of the greatest statements any mortal could make, and I'm going to pick up from that statement in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Philippians, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. These are the words of Paul writing from prison, but he is rejoicing. And he says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, in other words, if he's going to survive this trial in front of this Roman emperor, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, friends, I want to remind us that the greatest achievement of any life is to say the statement, to live is Christ and to know that you mean it, <laughs> right? I mean, we all would love to reach that place. But to say it and to know in your heart of heart it's true, oh man, could anybody beat that? And we looked at three weeks ago and saying, if you are born again, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, the possibility of being able to say to live is Christ is yours. Paul had the same faith as us. He entered into the same salvation and so Paul is writing these words, not that he might show himself to be any different in his spirituality as an exclusive class. Rather, he's saying, guys, if you've entered into this like faith through grace in Jesus Christ, this can be yours too. How many would love to say that today? To live is Christ. But Paul's not finished yet. He makes another statement. He says, and to die is gain. And when you put those two statements together, they make absolute sense, right? I mean, to, it makes sense to say, to live, for to me to live is Christ, makes absolute sense in the light of the fact that Jesus is the one you are going to be with forever. Can I say it again? Okay, I need you to tap in 10. The two are, makes beautiful sense together. To have this passion to say, oh, Jesus, for me to live is Christ makes absolute sense because in the light of glory, Jesus is the one you are going to be with forever. Wow. Yes. 
And I just have to ask you a question today, 10. What is your view of death? It's a great question, but it's not one that you normally, maybe if you're a bit achy, Auntie Elsie in the morning, you're going, oh, heaven's feeling good this morning. But for the average human being, can I just say, we don't often think about the question, right? I mean, when you wake up, you're like, Jesus, 15 more minutes in my bed. Oh, like, oh, Lord, another round of school, school drop-offs, school pickups. I don't know if I can do this. You're quoting Philippians. You know, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me, you know? Or maybe it's going into a job where it feels like Groundhog Day. Anyone ever watch that movie? If you haven't, it's, it's, it's a brilliant concept of what it can feel like to be sucked into this feeling of the replay button and nothing ever feels like it's going to change or it doesn't really feel like it's going anywhere. Anyone relate to that? Can I say today there's something glorious? I, I, when Paul could say to die is gain, that word in the Greek gain is, is profit. Accountants here, you'll know what that means. It's the kind of profit you want to see at the end of all your calculations. And in Paul's mind, there's, there's the, the accounting column of this life. And he says, you know, there's good stuff here. You know, to be, to be in the flesh and continue living, it comes with some good stuff. Oh, but in the accounting column of the life to come, it is glorious profits. And uh, friends, I, I don't say this lightly today. If you know, if you've been coming to our church, we don't say this easily from our pulpit, but I do think there is a satanic attack upon the church to make her forget what is coming in glory. You know, he is so clever. The way he's doing it is making culture and contemporary Christianity say the same thing, which is this. You should expect heaven on earth. And it is a lie, my friends. This life is passing away, and what is coming? far exceeds the glory of what we can see by the naked eye here. And, and friends, I would say culture says, well, to live is gain and death is loss. But, but let me tell you now, it's a lie. If you are in Jesus this morning, the best is yet to come. Amen? Oh. And I was reminded by a 70-something-year-old this last week. Don't say, Matthew, in 25 many years I am to that age. He says, he could come any moment. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And, and the reason why it matters, church, and the reason why there, I think there is a satanic attack upon this beautiful gift to the church of hope is because when you lose sight of glory, you struggle to live this life. You know, Artie Kendall wrote in his book, it, you know, sometimes you read something and it just shakes you. And he said this, never forgotten it. He says, you are not ready to live until you are ready to die. It's true. What he's saying is you, you don't see until your lens of glory is right, clear, crystal clear. You can't focus in this life properly. And friends, this is not an abstract theory. Please listen to me. This future hope of glory, it mattered to Paul in his suffering. We're getting a good batch of suffering nowadays as South Africans. I want to say to you this morning, what Paul saw in the future ministered to him in the present. You with me? 
I don't think you're quite convinced, but it's okay. It's only the start of the sermon. <laughs> and I just, church, if I look at us, I think we've lost a little bit of spring in our faith step lately. Anybody can relate to that? Can I just say to you, there is something wonderful from Jesus this morning. you being able to lift our eyes to see what is certain, what is coming as being gain for the one that is in Christ. So my, my, my first point is, so why, why is it that death for the Christian is great gain? Well, because of what is not going to be found in heaven. So I'm going to do an exercise. I don't normally do this. So if you feel a bit uncomfortable, you won't get to do it every Sunday. So just, just be at ease. Can you all just close your eyes? I want us to daydream a little bit about what, what this place of heaven is going to be like. And remember... Keep your eyes closed. When I say heaven, it's the intermediary st state between our death and the consummation of all things, where God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. But this is where we are going to be, absent in the body, present with the Lord. And the place where we are going to be is the following. And, and I'll just love you to daydream a little bit with me. Imagine a place of no suffering. Nothing. Imagine a place of no pain. There's a little Amen. Imagine a place of no loneliness. Imagine a place of no rejection. Imagine a place of no financial need. It's <laughs> so wonderful. Imagine a place with no temptation or sin. Nothing. Perfect harmony with Jesus. No weight of the flesh dragging you down. No pride. No wrongful desires, no unbelief, no doubt, no enemies, no misunderstanding between friends or spouses. How about this one? No criticism, no fear of anything, no intimidation, no emotional problems. No tears except tears of joy. No hurt. No depression. No boredom. No rushing. No evil. No eskim. I mean, no, 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 no sin. Open your eyes. Who would love to live forever in a place like that? Hey. Yo. And church, it's coming. It's coming. Isn't that wonderful? And, and, and I, I want to be positive. That's what is not going to be waiting for you with Jesus. But what will be there is the, the glorious unveiled presence of Jesus. Right now you're reaching out a hand of faith. To, towards Christ as you, you, you are, are, are reaching for him. But there, when you reach out your hand, you will feel him, you will touch him, and you will know him face to face. It's coming. <laughs> you, and you will hear his voice. And for some of you, it will sound familiar, but you will hear him. As Howie was praying this morning, I just had this sense of imagining 
the goodness of Jesus coming to me, not just in his presence, but in his voice. And, and there'll be unspoiled fellowship with God's people. There'll be perfect companionship, perfect peace, radiant glory, beautiful holiness, perfect obedience in everyone. Isn't that wonderful? Unspoiled joy and happiness. Imagine a tap that is open all the time of joy in your heart. Never shut off. A place of reaping all that you have done for Jesus. A place of meeting others who have lived for Jesus. I, I can't wait to meet some personalities. A place of activity and purpose. You will not be sitting there bored in heaven, I promise you. God is going to give you a glorious purpose in his new heaven and a new earth. New heaven and a new earth. Goodness, new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be glorious worship and perfect love. Friends, this is what is coming for the one who is in Christ. And I have been thinking about a throwaway comment that a good friend of mine, Niels, said to me. One day, in a phone call, you know, you love those conversations with friends where you put down the phone and you say, wow, that was just a God moment. And he said this to me. He said, Matthew, we should daydream about what's coming in glory more often than we do. You see, the way it, it translates from just being theory to becoming a reality in your heart is the same way that we told you in, in, in Song of Songs. The right response to the love of God is to so believe it until you feel it. You know what I'm saying? That's how you respond to the love of God. You're so convinced biblically that this God loves me that you believe it until you feel it in your heart. Friends, it is the same for this glory. It is coming. And the way that you get yourself to be ministered to is by you actively daydreaming. You, you, you think about the glory. You so believe what, it, what, what Scripture tells you about what's coming that your heart gets ministered to. Are you with me? I don't think our faith can survive without that kind of hope at regular intervals. And I want, to, I, I want to say to you, I think Paul daydreamed about this a lot. I mean, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, notice the words he uses. He says, for I consider, it's up there, I think. Is Romans 8, 18 there? There we go. For I consider, he's thought about it. He, he's wondered. He's, he's looked at this life. Oh, and the next, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Isn't that wonderful? And friends, the thing that strikes me about Paul in this epistle is he is totally unafraid of death. Are you this morning? He, he does not fear death in the least. And, and what I'm amazed by in Paul is he's not saying, God, would you just keep me alive until a certain age? I mean, some of us would think that, right? He, he's not saying, Lord, would you just keep me to 70? If I can get to 70, oh, yes, I'll be fine. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, can you just keep me alive until I see Timothy married and with children? For Paul... 
saw that there was nothing to fear in death because he knew that the God he worshipped was in total control over life and death. Total. So that he was convinced he would not be robbed of a single day. He would not die prematurely. And I'll explain in the next point. But friends, today you must be so comforted that God is in such control over your life and he has such power to sustain you to the very end that you can rest in his sovereign decision of when it's time to go. Are you with me this morning? You will sleep better at night if that's the case. For Paul, he could see in Psalm 139 verse 16, he said this, he said, your eyes saw my unformed body. Before, before we were ever made in the flesh, God had formed us in his mind and heart, and we were as good as done. <laughs> That's why you could see our unformed body. And it says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that a comfort today? And if you... As a Christian, I'll get to it in a little bit later. If you as a Christian are simply happy to live in the will of God and don't live in outright rebellion against his name, you can be assured God has the capacity and the willingness to keep you alive until every single day in that book is done. But now the big question which is really important, is going, well, if I'm not just alive, please, please listen to me, if I'm not just alive for a certain number of years, why am I? What is the purpose of me breathing? What's the purpose of me living? What's the purpose of me being here on planet Earth? And I want to make some three big observations from Paul that are, 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 are radical but so helpful. Uh, the second point I want to say is the aim of living is to complete the work that God has for us. Uh, it's, so, it's so clear. Have a look there. It says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what's the reason if he is to live? He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means what? It means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. For Paul, if he's going to be kept alive any longer, it's so that he might be kept alive to do the work which God has for him to do. Are you with me? Now, where do we get that from? Is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is after this glorious exposition of this gospel, saved by grace through faith, not by works, as any man should boast, he, he lands, Paul, in Ephesians 2 verse 10 with this. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Let's read it together. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that interesting? We are created in Christ Jesus to do Good, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. You know, in worship, can I, can I just say, I, I felt like some of us here are a bit older at the, I'm using my, the royal ass or we, are a bit older at the 10. 
And some of you might be struggling. It's okay, just don't worry about the distraction. I want you to listen to me. Some of you are going, God, why haven't I died yet? Honestly, that's what I feel like. And I sense the Lord is saying to you this morning personally, it's because you can still pray. <laughs> you can still be an encouragement to the flock. And I just sense the Lord saying to you, your work is not done yet. And, and church, I want you to look at how eternally wise God has been in fitting the work he has for his life to your formation. As much care to your creation has gone into the works for which you are created for. And, and can I, I, I urge you today, church, to be kept alive is not about reaching a certain age. It's not about experiencing all that this life can offer. You mean, I just want to set us free this morning from the tyranny of the bucket list. You know what the bucket list is? <laughs> the bucket list says, unless you get all of these things ticked, you haven't really lived life. I want to say, scrap the bucket list. The thing that you need more than anything and where true joy and fulfillment is found is found in the joy of seeing every day as an opportunity to do something for the Lord. Can I ask you today, what are you living for? Your joy will correspond to it. And can I just nudge you, if you are living for something in this life, it will break you. It will lead to a a transient temporary pleasure that will lead to a great disappointment. But if you will see that you are breathing and living to be useful to Christ, and that day by day, Christ with you has got something for you to do for him. I tell you, every day has meaning. Every day has purpose, whether it's sickness, whether it's in health, whether it's plenty, whether it's in lean. The joy of why you're here doesn't change. And the meaning of it never dwindles because every day is an opportunity to give your body to the glory of Christ in the same way he gave his body for you. You with me? And I, I, I sense some of us are depressed this morning. You, you feel like, what? some of us to the point of even saying, I don't even know if I want to live anymore. The question you must ask yourself this morning is, what have you been living for? And there is a glory attached to living with and for Jesus that you have been designed for. And you will find, like Romans 12 verse 2, when you discover the will of God for your life, which is a daily openness to the leadership of Jesus from a loving heart towards him, you will find that the will God leads you into is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. You will find it will not harm you. You will find that it will be acceptable to you, and it will find it will fit you perfectly. And uh, you might be asking the question, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. Because my next point is this, and I, <laughs> I'm only saying this because the Lord has put it in his word. <laughs> the aim of living is to be a blessing to others. I mean, if you look at Paul this morning, look at what he says about not only is it fruitful labor, 
He gets to do more with Jesus. But there is something else of why he is being kept alive and he's certain he's going to make it through. It's because God's work is not finished with these precious Philippians. Paul is being set apart to be a blessing to them. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account, Philippians. Not for mine. It's not that I might experience a few things that are still lacking in my, my bucket list. No, friends, he says, look, God's keeping me alive for you. Not for me, for you. And he says, convinced of this. He is so certain that this is the reason why he lives. He said, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Friends, this is radical when compared to what culture tells us. Culture says you gratify whatever desire you have, and that equals happiness. The gospel says you live a life for Jesus, and you do what Jesus has done for you. You'll be a blessing to others, and in that posture, you will find blissful joy. You know, I was having a conversation over lunch last week at Hagar, and an advanced leader of another church um, was, made this statement, and it, it was like a bombshell church. He said this, he said, we should be asking ourselves how we are becoming more like Jesus every single day. It's not about what is right or what is wrong, or what is moral and what is immoral. The great question that forms the Christian isn't legalism, it's a person. And the great question we should be asking ourselves is, how are we becoming more like the one we are going to be with forever? And he made a statement that, that went to the very core of my heart. He said this. He said, we must drop this thing of thinking that we only come to small group or to church simply because of what we get from it. He says, if you ask the question, forgive me, if you ask the question, how can I become more like Jesus, is we show up to small group and to church because we are committed to these people even when we get nothing back because that's how Christ is towards us. How do you know what God's will is for your life? I'll give you a big hint. It will involve loving other people. And life for us, church, must be more than just what profession we must choose or how we must invest our money or what kind of car we must try and keep or sell. Friends, the primary will of God for his people is that they be like Christ, and the way Christ lived was to be a blessing to many. And you know, 
I thought about that this week, and we sell short. We believe the lie that as long as all of these things are orientated towards us and our agenda and what we want and how we can get what we think we need, friends, it's going to lead to misery because at the center of our life is a miserable, unfinished work of grace called you and me. And it's not a fun place to live in. You will find, and I just ask for your prayers, church, for us as a preaching team, there is underlying in this Philippian book a trajectory of thought in Paul, which we can dimly see, but we haven't got it yet. But it is this. I can articulate it at a, at a, at a surface level. True joy in the Christian life is to be totally free from self. <laughs> when I look at Paul, I don't see him navel-gazing. I don't see him agonizing over mistakes or potential futures that could be go wrong. I don't see him catastrophizing. What I see in Paul is a man who is living towards other people. He's, he, he's living his life towards this Jesus, and he's living his life towards whom Jesus loves, these people that he's been put around. And friends, who's the person that he's forgetting about? He's forgetting about him? And the lie of Satan is to put self first and to think, if you, if you mollycoddle self all the time, you'll be happy. Let me tell you, the, the true freedom of what's awaiting us in heaven and that we can start walking in now is to so orientate our lives. I, I hope God's giving you grace to see this. Is to so orientate our lives that we are living for Christ and for others. And as we do so, so we enter into joy. And the Lord said to me this morning, Matthew, you don't get there by thinking, by deciding to think less about yourself, because you're still thinking about yourself. You with me? That's our problem. And that's our, our natural moral response. I need to think less about myself. No, my friends. You think more about Christ, and you think more about others, and the rest will do its work. And when you look back on your life, you will be like Paul. Do you know why? Because you'll look back and see a life left for the one that you're going to see soon. And you can look back on the lives God has used you to grace in ways seen and unseen. And what a legacy of love to build. To see that there has been a service, a heart of service, that as Christ has blessed you with such sacrificial love, you've made room for others in your life. And, and your legacy is not one of great work or great wealth. Your legacy is not one of great giftedness. Your legacy is an aroma of Jesus who laid down his life for you. And when you look back on a life like that, my friend, it leads to great joy. And that's my final point. The aim of living is to be a rejoicing people. <laughs> Look at what Paul says here. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all not only for your progress, not only that we can bank some miles with Jesus together, but for your joy. 
is God is keeping me in your life for your joy. My ministry to you is for joy. And I, I just have to take a step back and, and, and acknowledge my weakness here, church. I don't think I've gotten that right. And in my life, I have felt more like this. I don't know if you can, you can relate. But I have felt more in my Christian faith over the years in this way, which is to feel guilty in the Lord always. And again, I say feel guilty. Anybody relate to that? And, and, and sometimes I think the work of a preacher can be in his mind that we have to weigh down. You know, if we can get you to feel guilty and fearful, you actually start doing something for Jesus. Let me tell you, Paul says, guys, I'm here not only just merely for your progress, but I'm here for an essential ingredient, which is the evidence of a fruitful progress, which is an increasing life of joy. To rejoice in the Lord always. That's a sound, sign of sound theology. It is a sign that you are not rejoicing in what you can get. You're rejoicing in the God who is able to give anything. <laughs> it's in this Lord, this glorious God that you are preoccupied with and kept by and sustained by and forgiven by. It is this joy of knowing Jesus as sufficient in all things that we can get on the mission, the mission to being a blessing to all people because of this great grace we received in him. Paul is free from preoccupation with self. And I want to be like that. Don't you? The right response to seeing this weight of glory that is coming to seeing the meaning of living a life with and for Jesus. To seeing the joy of being a blessing to other people around you. The result of that kind of orientation in life is one of joy. And when last did you feel it? <laughs> I'll take a guess that if you haven't for a long time, you've lost sight of these things. Can I invite you this morning into a place with Jesus where you can experience the forgetfulness of self and just see him for who he is and see where you're going in him. And to accept with new eyes the kind of people that irritate you. <laughs> I'm sure you're more holy. You, might, you don't have any of those people in your life, right? As being God's grace, gift, and intrinsically linked to you demonstrating your love for Jesus. That is glory. That's moving from a frustrated, depressed Christian who is constantly arguing with God for not giving them what they want to a Christian that sees God is over all, he's in all, and he's working in and through people that have never deserved it. Friends, you're looking at a man who makes many mistakes, but it doesn't matter. In God, 
you'll get some things right as you go after him. And you will get better and better at seeing this amazing Jesus that is leading you. But friends, where he is leading you is away from self. Why? Because he knows that's where true freedom is. Why do you think Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me? It's because what we crucify daily, not because of us trying to think about ourselves less, not because of us trying to remove the thought of self, it is replacing that with the joy of who Jesus is and what he has for us to do. Friends, when you start to live like that, you'll know freedom. You'll know a joy that is not linked to what God can give you, but simply to who he is. And the gospel will begin to mean more to you because you see in Christ what he's calling you to do to others is simply what he's done for you. So after those words, we get to enjoy a beautiful response. I want to read just a verse from Matthew 26 before we enjoy Jesus personally through this wonderful means of grace. Jesus took the bread and the cup on the night before he was going to be betrayed, and he did something significant. He said, Church, until I come again, this is for you. This bread, as you hold it today, is the substitute of Jesus in the place of your sin. And this cup that he, he held up he said, this is my blood. And it was shed for the forgiveness of sin so that anybody by faith who takes hold of this bread in this cup might know Christ is sufficient. With total peace with God. And I don't feel God is saying to us this morning, church, we must feel guilty or moralized in his presence this morning. What I'm sensing he's wanting to do through this wonderful grace gift is for us to be drawn into a place again when we, where we feel near to Jesus. And so he says these words. He says the last lines that he says in, in, in the Passover. He says, I tell you this, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Every time we hold this cup and we hold this bread, we are proclaiming his coming. And so as you take this, I, I want you to do business with Jesus. I want you to, is there anything on your heart you're just feeling guilty about? You just come and bring it under the blood before the body of Jesus, and you just allow yourself to be ministered to, to be forgiven. But then I want you to hold this cup and this bread for just a moment and to imagine what it's going to be like to see Jesus face to face. 
and let your heart catch up with your head. And then you just tell him briefly what that means to you. Okay? Happy? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the service to come forward. Let's close our eyes. Lord Jesus, with eyes of faith this morning and hearts that are open to your spirit, you promise us, Lord, as we partake of these elements, we will sense your presence. We will remember you, not just with our heads, but our hearts. And Lord, we need you. In this day and age, we need you, Jesus. And I pray that as we take this as a congregation, you would draw very close to us. And Lord, I pray we would feel it as ones who don't deserve it, but it's been freely given. And as we hold these, these symbols, Lord, I pray in a new way we would hold the hope of eternity in our hearts. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow, Lord. I just pray all the grace of your word this morning that we've heard would administer to us. Would it shape our responsiveness to you, Jesus? And I just pray for the one who maybe has just felt far from the Lord for a long time, that as they hold the cup and the bread, they would feel so forgiven. They would feel so welcomed, undeservedly, by faith in this Jesus, that they would be able, like Paul, to say, I'm going to forget what is behind I'm going to press on towards what's ahead. The fact that we're still alive, Lord, means you're not finished with us. Might no one be hiding in the shadows this morning when you've come full of light and full of forgiveness, we pray. So when you're ready, won't you come up? Would you hold on to the elements and we all eat and drink together as a family?
Thank you for this moment, Father. We're so grateful for time to gaze upon Jesus. To look full in his wonderful face. That the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm grateful, Jesus, you said on that night, the very first Passover meal, which became communion, you said, do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, today, you're inviting us to a place of self-forgetfulness. <laughs> communion is not remember yourselves. Communion is remember me, remember Jesus. Remember his merciful sufficiency, his loving kindness, his shepherding. And I just pray, Lord, as we are about to taste and eat physically of these symbols, Lord, would you just feed and, and quench our hearts. With more of you, Jesus. We want to be a people that live for you, that live in the weight of your coming glory, and that, Lord, in our becoming like you, we would be a blessing. We'd be a blessing to those around us. Lord, already we do this as a body. Lord, we enjoy the body. Lord, would you just awaken our hearts to what is on yours? We're so thankful for this time. Let's eat and drink together. Yes, Lord, as we've tasted and we've eaten of these symbols, Lord, would you just seal the grace that they represent in our hearts? As we leave here, Lord, you would just help us more and more not try and, and think of ourselves less, but to be fully gripped each day with the glory that's awaiting us in you, with the glory of who you are, Jesus, and, and what the work you have for us. God, we, we pray that we'd move from being a people paralyzed to a people that 